You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. 7-2. If the winners of the popular vote, and in Al Gore's case, the actual winner of the fucking election in 2000 had won the White House, there would be a 7-2 liberal majority on the Supreme Court. Instead, what we've got is a 5-4 conservative majority. While again and again and again, majorities of Americans have supported Democratic candidates and Democratic policies, again and again and again, the anti-small-D Democratic rat fuckery baked into our system has handed the White House to the losing candidate which is why conservatives have a 5-4 majority on the court. Anyway, I bring up the Supreme Court on my sex and relationship advice show because right now, today, this morning, the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments in three cases that touch on LGBT civil rights. Lower courts have decided that gay and trans Americans are protected from workplace discrimination thanks to existing laws that ban discrimination on the basis of sex. As Mark David Stern wrote in Slate, it is impossible to discriminate against LGBTQ people without taking sex into account. Consider an employer who fires a man for marrying a man but does not fire a woman for marrying a man. This discrimination is inherently based on sex. Change the male employee's sex and he wouldn't be fired. It's similarly impossible to discriminate against a trans person for being trans without being motivated by ideas about sex, biological sex, sex and gender stereotypes. The Supreme Court laid low last year, Stern writes, ducking controversial cases in the wake of Brett Kavanaugh's wildly controversial appointment to the court and Neil Gorsuch's wholly illegitimate appointment to a stolen fucking seat. But this year, this year it's different. In addition to taking cases on LGBT rights, the court has taken up cases that touch on racial discrimination, gun control, religious quote-unquote freedom, that is the special right for right-wing Christian bigots to discriminate against queers, single mothers, Jews, Muslims, etc., Also, the court is hearing cases on immigration, DACA, the Dreamers, police brutality, sentencing reform, and on and on. Oh, of course, and abortion, too. Court watchers like Stern are predicting a bloodbath, a conservative revolution, in Stern's words. And all of these decisions will be coming down at the end of June 2020, four months and change before the 2020 election. The damage to queer rights, women's rights, the rights of immigrants and prisoners, people of color— could be generational. The courts, man. In 2016, a lot of people on the right who did not like Trump held their noses and voted for him anyway because they wanted the courts packed with right-wing ideologues. Trump and McConnell delivered. A lot of those same people who didn't like Trump then are going to reward Trump happily with their votes in 2020. And not to pick at scabs or anything, but in the run-up to the 2016 election, those of us who told people on the left who didn't like Hillary Clinton to do the same thing, to think about all those judicial appointments and hold your nose and vote for Clinton, we were accused of scaremongering. Well, is it okay to be scared now? Can we be scared yet? I'm fucking scared. I fully expect the hijacked Supreme Court, the weaponized Supreme Court, to issue rulings gutting anti-discrimination protections for LGBT people and reversing or gutting Roe v. Wade. Immigrants, dreamers, they'll be fucked too, as will prisoners, people of color, people have been discriminated against on the basis of race. You know, Clinton wasn't the perfect candidate, I realize, but no candidate is perfect. And in every national election, your choice boils down to the D 
or the R. In 2020, as in 2016, a lefty protest vote for a third party is a vote for Donald Trump. We face a long fight to bring balance back to the courts. And the first battle in that fight is the presidential election in 2020 and Senate elections in 2020. So please join me, as I will occasionally remind and hector you, in taking the pledge, the blue no matter who pledge. I honestly, personally, don't want it to be Biden. But if it's Biden... If Biden wins fair and square the Democratic primary, I am voting for Biden and sending him a check. I prefer Warren over Sanders, but if it's Sanders, I'm voting for Sanders and sending him a check. And if it's Warren, Sanders voters who claim to care about the courts or the environment or health care, they will support Warren. Sanders supporters who don't support Warren if she gets the nomination, well, they don't get to make those claims ever again. They don't get to say that they care about anything other than Bernie Sanders Ever again. They don't get to tell us they care about the environment or the courts or health care or anything else. There are people running for the Democratic nomination that I don't like, and not just Biden. But the stakes are too high, and the hole we're in is too deep for anybody's purity politics. I'm voting blue in 2020, no matter who, and so should you. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. The Magnum is twice as long and there are no ads. Author and body positivity advocate L. Chase joins me. L. Chase of Curvy Girl Sex. She joins me to tackle a few of your questions. That's on the Magnum on this week's show. Me Undies makes feel good underpants your butt will be proud to wear and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. And to check it out yourself, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Want to save money, save the planet, and look good while you're doing it? It doesn't get any better than Thread Up, the largest online consignment and thrift store. Shop over 35,000 brands at up to 90% off estimated retail. Go to threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off your first order. That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash savage. Threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off today. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SAVAGE. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old bisexual lady in the Northwest, and I'm wondering if you have advice for people in open relationships where you're allowed to have flings with other people, but you're not poly. I like that my relationship is basically monogamous externally, and I don't want people prying into my sex life. I like that my partner and I have a solid commitment and can be coupley with our friends, and pretty much all of whom are pretty straight-edged. Some of my friends know, but it's kind of tough because what are people like me supposed to do when something kind of irks or is a struggle and you want to complain or chat about it with your girlfriends the same way they would complain about how their boyfriend is being frustrating or something normal made them feel really bad? 
but you can't because even the friends who accept the openness are suspicious of it. And it's like you're representing the viability of all open relationships all the time. It's extra bad because I'm bi and people just assume I'm straight because I'm so femme. I just feel really misunderstood. Like if I admit that my boyfriend had a fling this week and I'm feeling excited and in love, but also a little tender, I just feel like I can't say it. People assume that I'm being taken advantage of and that my partner's going to screw me over and that I'm an idiot, even though we've never been more solid in our lives. I'm all alone whenever I have any feelings. I can only talk to the few people I know who are also in open relationships, and sometimes that feels extra alienating because sometimes those aren't the people that I'm feeling really close to at the time. Uh, Anyway, it's a real issue for me. Help, Dan. So you say you have a tight circle of friends that you want to confide in who are in monogamous relationships who don't understand, but you also have friends that you can confide in who are in open relationships who should understand. And your dilemma here is that you're not always with your friends in open relationships when you're having these tender feelings and you need to vent and you don't feel like you can vent to the people who are in closed relationships because they're not going to understand or they're going to make assumptions that aren't true. Well, the solution, the way out here is to spend more time with your friends in open relationships when you're feeling tender, the people you can open up to unselfconsciously, or to make your friends in open relationships into more understanding people about the dynamics of an open relationship by taking more time to unpack your feelings and unpack their feelings about your feelings and to address their assumptions, their incorrect assumptions, their misapprehensions, their prejudices about open relationships. And really, it's an investment of time and energy and effort and building better friends for yourself, making better and more understanding friends of your friends who are in monogamous relationships. So that when you have these feelings, when you're feeling tender, when you need some love and support from your friends, you have more friends that you can rely on, your friends in open relationships who understand because they're experiencing exactly what you are experiencing or have experienced what you're experiencing. And your friends then who are in closed relationships who know better now because you've taken the time to bring them up to speed. You've made this investment of time and energy and effort in your friends who are in closed relationships so that they can be better friends to you. It's worth the time, worth the energy, worth the effort. Hi, Dan. About nine years ago, I had cut a friend out of my life with whom it was becoming clear I had a very toxic friendship. I was a very solitary person at the time and was dealing with depression. And and she kind of forged the friendship of her own volition. I was very reluctant and self-protective and But yet she was very insistent on spending time with me. And ultimately, I ended up appreciating the the kindness that at first seemed like the reason she had begun the friendship. But over time, it became clear that her friendship was conditional. She wanted something more out of it. And um, on a few occasions, I told her that I wasn't interested in anything more, but she didn't really seem to listen. Um, And meanwhile, it's become clear that she, she would... It was very toxic the way she was communicating with me. Conversation seemed like designed to create drama and like drawing me into a level of intimacy that I, I didn't really want. And she'd often express disappointment in me for reasons I didn't really understand and, and kind of ignore my boundaries. For instance, calling and texting, interrupting me when I was in the middle of a huge project on a tight timeline. And I ultimately told her I thought the friendship wasn't healthy. And I, I wouldn't, I said I wouldn't show up to this event she had invited me to. And she was furious and we didn't talk for nine years. So now 
after all this time, she recently started texting me again. She recently got married and weirdly shortly afterward, her new husband, who I don't know, friend of me on Facebook, and she texts me every few weeks saying she's in town, she wants to talk. And we've spoken once, but and I'd like to give her the benefit of doubt that she's changed. But honestly, this behavior feels familiar. And I don't want to get drawn into this again. I don't know how to tell her this because I'm afraid that the conversation itself will kind of feed into this drama and tension that had perpetuated our relationship in the past. So the question is, how do I tell her I'm not interested? Ulterior motives, not just for creeper dudes anymore. Actually, they were never just for creeper dudes. There's lots of people out there of all genders who enter into supposed friendships with folks when what they want is something more and they have creepy ulterior motives. They can't just ask because they don't want to get a no. So they engage in lots of manipulative and toxic behaviors. This woman who engaged in those kinds of manipulative and toxic behaviors exited your life nine years ago. And good. Sounds like a great nine years for both of you. You didn't have to think about her and she got the fuck on with her life and got married. And suddenly she reaches out to you. Well, just because she reached out to you, you weren't obligated to respond to her. If her presence in your life wasn't something that brought you joy, like they say on the TV show about getting rid of things you don't want in your fucking apartment anymore, you weren't obligated to respond. You weren't obligated to engage. You also aren't obligated to tell her you aren't interested in talking to her anymore. You can just stop talking to her. But if you feel like you got to tell her and you're worried about the drama and tension that that might create, well, go ahead and tell her and then block her fucking number. You you don't have to allow her to have continued access to your phone so you can keep up to date on the drama and tension of this relationship that is entirely optional. Opt the fuck out of it already. Send her one last text, wish her well, but say you don't want to have any future contact with her and then block her fucking number. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's hang out at the post office. Just kidding. Going to the post office is a real but avoidable hassle and you can avoid it with stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools out there for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is the way to go, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses are already using Stamps.com. And right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SAVAGE. That's Stamps.com. Enter SAVAGE. Hi, friends. So I'm a female in her late 20s uh, living in Oakland, California, and I consider myself pretty open-minded, but also pretty shy in the bedroom. It takes me a while to warm up. 
But I'm super crazy about my boyfriend. We have amazing regular sex. I've never been attracted to someone so much in my life. Uh, the problem is, is that all of my friends are just obsessed <laughs> with talking about um, putting fingers in their boy boyfriend's like butts and how much they like it. And I'm just like, my general reaction is just like, oh my fucking God, like you, no way. Why would I want to do that? Even though I guess he does it to me and we've never talked about it. He just does it. And I've asked, we were all like visiting my girlfriend the other day and he was privy to our, you know, private lady conversations. And one of my friends laughed and asked if anyone had ever done it to him. And he said, no. And I'm wondering, like, am I depriving him by not, like, sticking my finger in his butt? Like, I don't even know how. Like, and I don't want to experiment on him. I'm very self-conscious about trying sexual things out and doing them the wrong way, especially when it comes to putting your finger in someone's butt. Is this something that I think really am, like, am depriving him by not doing it? I don't know. I just need some advice. And if I should do it, how do you go about doing that? <laughs> so if I follow you, you and your boyfriend can have a conversation about fingers in his ass with your other lady friends when it's a private lady conversation that he is close enough to overhear and close enough, you know, adjacent to this lady finger and butt conversation. So adjacent, so close that he can participate in that conversation. But you somehow can't have a conversation with him one on one about whether he feels deprived of fingers in his ass because he's doing it to you sometimes without asking well fucked up and you're not doing it for him talk to you he talked to me you talked to me and all of these strangers who are listening to the sound of your voice right now on my podcast you talked with all of us with complete seeming ease and and comfort a little stumbling here and there but you know sex sometimes is awkward to talk about but you didn't have any trouble talking with me about it or my listeners pretend your boyfriend is me. Pretend your boyfriend is all my thousands and thousands of listeners and have a conversation with him. Do you want me to put my finger in your butt? How hard is that to say? To get your finger in his butt, you need to play with his butt a little bit, lube up your finger, lube up his hole, run your finger in a circle around his hole before you attempt to go into the sphincter, trim your fucking fingernails, take off your rings or whatever, and you can get a finger in his butt. If you're worried about driving the finger into his butt or pushing it yourself, you can just give him your hand. You can have him direct your finger into his ass himself and he can then be in control of the speed and depth of penetration take some of the responsibility for this tremendously risky sex act off your shoulders this isn't hard fingers in the butt not hard in my personal experience fingers in the butt not that pleasurable fingers are almost a little too narrow and bony if you want to experiment with butt play and pleasure Get a vibrating butt plug. Not a giant one, but not too small a vibrating butt plug either because those small ones that basically look like fingers, when your sphincter is contracting orgasm, they will fly across the fucking room. It will literally shoot out of your ass if it's your ass that it's in, his ass if it's his ass that it's in. Go get a couple of lovely little butt toys. Obviously, your boyfriend's interested in a butt play a little bit. He's played with your butt a little bit. But of course, before you shove a finger into him, before you shove a butt plug into him, you need to have a conversation with him. 
And you are capable of having this conversation. And the proof is your call to me about it, your conversation with your girlfriends about it while he was overhearing it, while he was listening. All right, go talk to your boyfriend or call back, give me his phone number and I will call him and have a conversation with your boyfriend for you. Are you looking to shop more sustainably? Thrifting is an easy solution. Textile waste is a huge problem and indicative of the end times nature of our bloated society. But good news, you can be part of the solution by shopping secondhand on ThreadUp. They make it super affordable and easy to shop sustainably and keep perfectly good clothes out of landfills. ThreadUp is the world's largest online thrift store where you can buy and sell secondhand women and kids fashion. They have over 35,000 brands like Anthropology and Taylor Coach, Lululemon, and more for up to 90% off estimated retail. You can find the best deals instantly. Search by brand, style, price to score anthropology dresses from $13, coach handbags starting at $25, and even Steve Madden shoes for under $20. The prices are insane, and it is so easy to shop. Thread up, triple inspects each item by hand, so everything is high-quality condition. Some items even still have their original tags on. ThreadUp gives you the insane deals of thrifting with the convenience of online shopping. And with thousands of arrivals every day, you'll never have to pay full price again. And for a limited time, ThreadUp is offering Savage Lovecast listeners a special deal for an extra 30% off your first order when you go to threadup.com slash savage. That's 30% off on top of the already low prices. So hurry and take advantage. That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash savage. Threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off terms apply. Hi, Dan. I'm a tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a straight married woman in her 30s. I recently sat for a four hour tattoo with an amazing artist. He did beautiful work, but also while I was in the chair getting the tattoo, the sensation of the needle plus being touched was really turning me on. I know chemically why this was happening. I know my body was releasing endorphins to compensate for the pain, and that that part of it is pretty normal. The arousal part was different. It is not my first tattoo. I did sort of suspect I liked the feeling. Something about this artist and the length of time I was in the chair made the effect just that much more intense. It was really confusing in the moment because for a hot second, I thought I wanted to fuck the artist. But instead, I did what Dan Savage would have advised me to do in this situation. I took all that energy home to my husband, and I fucked his brains out. Yay. I was very candid with him about what had happened. He's been really supportive about the whole thing. And it's like a switch has been flipped with me. We're having lots of great sex. That part's awesome. So here's the problem. Before all this happened, it was always in my plan to get more heavily tattooed. And again, because the work this artist does is amazing, I would love for him to do as much of that work as possible. And okay, we got to be honest here. There's the fact that I'd be getting something else out of it. But if I know ahead of time that I'm probably going to get an erotic charge out of this experience, am I being a creepy pervert and involving him in my kink against his will? I did not outwardly indicate that this was happening at the time, I don't think. He may or may not have known, and I'm sure it is not the first time he's seen it if he did know. But in any case, he was perfectly professional. He says I'm welcome back anytime. And in fact, he said I shouldn't even think about going to anyone else. I do not know if this would happen if I did go to someone else. In any case, I can't go right back to him because he books up months in advance. So I have some time to figure this out, but I honestly don't know what's appropriate here. I think this falls under the category of secret perving. The example I like to use is the foot fetishist who works in a shoe store, who handles women's feet all day, puts shoes on women's feet all day. This would have to be a high-end shoe store now, nowadays. There's not very many of them left. But this used to be a job, shoe salesman. 
And if somebody went into that line of work because they liked feet, they liked shoes, and they were capable of comporting themselves in a professional manner all day, capable of not panting or spotting or having obvious erections, and they went home at the end of the day after having helped many, many ladies try on shoes and furiously beat off about it, well, it's just secret perving. I'm going to read something I wrote. Important note, it's not just about how the foot fetishist, secret perv, shoe sales clerk, aspiring podiatrist perceives himself, but how he's perceived by others, by his customers and his coworkers. If he thinks he's playing it cool and thinks his perving is secret, but his customers are creeped out by his behavior, demeanor, bulges, spots, breathing, or his coworkers are creeped out, then the perving is in secret and it's not okay. In this instance, you aren't the service provider who's secretly perving. You are the service recipient who's secretly perving. Is it permissible? Well, yes, I think the same standard applies. If the perving is secret, if you get this erotic charge, but you're able to treat the person who's giving you this erotic charge like a professional, if you're able to keep it professional and then run home and furiously masturbate about it or run home and plow all that sexual energy into your husband and fuck each other's brains out, I think it's allowed. There's a lot of hot tattoo artists out there. A lot of them know they're hot. A lot of people go to tattoo artists that are hot specifically because they're hot and there's something sensual and intimate about that experience. So I think a lot of tattoo artists know that some of their customers are aroused by this sensual intimate experience. How they behave, how they treat them. Do they treat them like a professional or do they come across as a creepy perv in the chair getting a tattoo? If it's the former, like a professional, okay. If it's the latter, not okay. Same thing I think applies often with personal trainers. A lot of personal trainers are really hot and that personal training shit is kind of intimate and sensual and touchy. And it is okay, I think, to hire a personal trainer you think is hot who kind of cranks you up to be in their presence so long as you aren't drooling over them and making them uncomfortable and you're still treating them like a professional and then go home and plow all that sexual energy into your partner. Fine. Permissible secret perving. And I think that's what's going on here. Go ahead and make that appointment with this tattoo artist who's already told you he wants to see you again and enjoy the thrill secretly and then run home and plow it into your husband loudly. Here is the part of the show where I get to enthuse about underpants. Of course, I'm talking about me undies, which are made of the softest, most comfortable fabric ever. I am literally sitting in a pair right now. They also make adult human onesies and brace yourself because they are coming out with a Halloween line of patterns. Who wouldn't want zombie print underpants? Nobody. That's who you want them right now. They're also offering onesies that function as costumes, including a pumpkin and a rainbow-themed onesie they call the Adventurous Unicorn. Yes, they went there. Adventurous Unicorns, not just for sex advice podcasts anymore, not just for adventurous straight couples or bi couples anymore. They are for you. You can be the Adventurous Unicorn. You can wear the Adventurous Unicorn comfy MeUndies onesie. Their underwear is beloved by all, including Nancy, who wears them literally all the time. And true story, her daughter requested a onesie for her 11th birthday, which she also now wears literally all the time. They really are that comfortable. These are the softest undies known to man, and they're also available in sizes that range from extra small to 4XL, so softness is for everybody. MeUndies is a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off your first order and free shipping, and they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. 
I promise you, you will be satisfied by these underpants, by these onesies, by my personal favorite, the lounge pants, the pajama bottoms. To get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, and to do the Savage Lovecast a favor, go to meundies.com slash savage. That's meundies.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. I am a 27-year-old bisexual woman living on the East Coast. I'm calling in about how to deal with a situation that I thought I was just going to let go, but it's still bothering me a couple of weeks later. So I met a guy on Bumble, and we went out a few times and hooked up um, after our second date. And we were going to hang out for a fourth time, pretty much just to hook up. And he had brought up that it would really turn him on to um, take video of me sucking his cock. And so I, um, you know, I thought I didn't know how I felt about that. You know, we were just getting to know each other, but, you know, maybe in the future or, you know, we could at least talk about it. So we get together and we start hooking up and he takes out his camera and starts filming it. I didn't protest or say no. um, And he actually sent me some of the video the next day. The thing is, um, we never hung out after that. I kind of tried to go on another date, but to no avail. And so, you know, kind of talked it up to online dating that maybe we wouldn't hang out again and that I probably should have let him take that video, but now I'm thinking about it and I never really consented to the whole thing. And I'm wondering if I should confront him about it. You know, I'm not going to know if he actually deletes the video if I ask him to, but just I need some advice on how to confront him about this situation. So he told you after your first date that he wanted to videotape you sucking his dick and you said you would consider it. And then on your second date while you were sucking his dick, he pulls out his phone and in that moment, his self-serving rationalization went like this. She was considering it. If this is not okay with her, she will say something. She will tell me to put my phone away. She knows why I took my phone out. We talked already about what I wanted to do with my phone while she sucked my dick. And so here we are, she's sucking my dick, and I'm getting my phone out. And that was, in his mind, self-serving rationalization, your opportunity to withdraw your consent. He's convinced himself that you gave your consent in that moment by not objecting, by not actively withdrawing your consent. And that isn't active, enthusiastic consent. That isn't yes means yes. What he's operating under is no means no. And he could just do whatever the fuck he wanted until you said no, which you didn't say in the moment. And now you feel violated. So what do you do? You know, you're not going to continue to date this guy. He's ghosting on you. Obviously, he's not interested in continuing to date you. Maybe this power trip is all he wanted out of this interaction or out of every interaction he ever has with a woman. If it'll make you feel better, I think it would be a good idea to confront him. And maybe it would benefit the women he encounters in the future if he's got a conscience that you can possibly reach to say to him, I feel bad about this and I don't feel like I consented to it. And we talked about it and I said, I'd consider it in that moment when you pulled out the camera for whatever reason, I didn't object. I didn't say no, but I never said yes. You never got a yes. And so now I feel terrible about this. And it wasn't the joyful, fun, consensual encounter that you may have convinced yourself that it is. And maybe in the moment convinced yourself that it was, And so I don't feel good about this. And, you know, whether you're going to date somebody forever or be with somebody forever or just fuck them a couple of times, 
you want them to go out in the world feeling good about you and feeling good about that encounter. And I don't. I don't feel good about you and I don't feel good about this encounter. And I thought you should know that. You'll feel better for having said all of that to him. And fingers crossed, maybe he will think better of it next time when he pulls out his camera. And he will ask for the yes, not wait for the no. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old millennial in Frederick, Maryland, uh, currently stress-eating a pint of Ben & Jerry's dairy-free peanut butter and jelly cookies in the Wegmans parking lot on a Tuesday night. I went out with an awesome guy this past Saturday, and we both mentioned that we had a good time, enjoyed each other's company, and even made plans for a second date. However, yesterday he texted me saying that he's not emotionally ready to date anyone, and then he deleted his OkCupid account, and that I was so brave for putting myself in the uncomfortable position of going on dates. Now, as much as I love Ben and Jerry's, I'd also much like binging in the parking lot at Wegmans. Total loser. Why would this guy agree to go out with me if he wasn't ready to date? Is this code for I'm just not that into you? I feel like this rejection is affecting me more than usual because I actually saw a future with this person. Give me some clarity because I can barely see through the haze of my rejection. You need to get a grip. You need to get a grip on that impulse to see a future with someone and become so emotionally invested in that future that you're devastated after one date. You had one date and maybe you did that thing that people shouldn't do where they have a long and extended direct message or text message interaction and flirtation before that first meeting. And so maybe you feel like you really got to know this guy and maybe you really made yourself vulnerable to him and really opened up to him in advance of that first date. And that first date confirmed for you that you were right to make this emotional investment in him. And that first date made you feel so good about your your past interactions and how vulnerable you'd already made yourself to this guy that you began to imagine a future with him. You got out way over your skis and you fell on your face. And you need to, like I said, get a grip. Get a grip on yourself right now in the situation you're in right now. You had one date with a guy and then he decided that he's not ready for a relationship, which is sometimes true. Sometimes people aren't ready for a relationship. Often it's code. And what it means is I'm not interested in being in a relationship with you. And that hurts and it sucks and rejection is never fun. But if he's not interested in you, he's never going to be interested in you. And the less time of yours he wastes, the sooner you can move on to and find the guy or guys who are interested in you. So the person who rejects you after one date, instead of drawing it out over six months, if they really know they're not interested, they've done you a favor. Feel your feelings, have your Ben and Jerry's, have your little binge, have your brief pity party, but you got to put it in perspective. It was one date. And in addition to getting a grip on that, it was just one date. You need to get a grip on this impulse to overinvest emotionally in a possibility. It's fine to fantasize about possibilities and romantic possibilities, but you don't want to invest that fantasy in one person that you've only had one single date with because the odds that that one person is going to be the guy that you can have that future you're fantasizing about and just like casting him in that role right now, the odds that he's going to be that guy are really slim. We go on lots of dates before we find someone that we can build a future with. And so continue to invest in that fantasy of a future, but you're going to have to recast this role, the role of your partner. This guy ain't it. That's a bummer. Eat your ice cream. Wake up tomorrow and decide that you are over this. Hey, Dan, 52-year-old man. 
and I need your advice regarding a family matter. So I am adopted. My my mom and dad, my non-biological parents told me when I was very young, wasn't really an issue when I was younger. Fast forward in, to my late 20s and I got the information regarding my biological parents. Reached out to both of them. My biological mom uh, at first was uh, really wonderful. I flew out to meet her and my half-siblings a couple times. Um, and then, unfortunately, it turned out she was an awful homophobe and did not show up to my first wedding, to my first wife. My biological father, when I reached out to him, didn't acknowledge me, um, claimed that he never knew my biological mother. And I had written him a letter after a phone conversation, just asking for some basic medical advice. He did write me back. And if a lawyer didn't write the letter, he certainly spoke to one. I just found out that he died, passed away uh, earlier this year. And a friend of a friend knows somebody that was fairly close to his family um, in the Midwest. And I got some details regarding his death as well as the uh, as well as the fact that um, I have three half siblings um, that are out on social media, and my friend has told me that if I am interested, um, I can get that information from her. So um, here's where I need the advice. I'm really curious about my biological dad's uh, family, his background. I really don't know much about it. So there's part of me that wants to reach out to my half siblings. On the other hand, as my wife has pointed out, um, I know that. My contacting them might cause them pain because I'm almost positive from our phone conversation, from the letter that he wrote me, that he did not absolutely tell his wife and or his children about me. So I am weighing whether or not to get in touch with them and uh, set aside my curiosity and maybe developing a relationship with them or sparing them uh, any possible pain that my contact might call. Your existence may be inconvenient to these people, to your biological mother, to your biological father, may even be inconvenient to your biological half-siblings. But your existence is a fact and you have a right to exist in this world and you have a right to speak up and you have a right to contact other human beings that you have a genetic connection to, a biological connection to. And then they have a right to decide whether they want to be a part of your life or not. And it sounds like you're horrible biological mother didn't want to be a part of your life. Sounds like you probably wouldn't want her to be a part of yours. And it sounds like your biological father wasn't psyched about hearing from you either. It doesn't follow then, however, that your biological half-siblings wouldn't be excited to hear from you. There's plenty of examples out there of people who hear in adulthood from half-siblings that they did not know that they had and that these became good and healthy relationships and welcome contacts but there's a couple of things I think you need to weigh before you reach out to your half-siblings. Is their mother still alive? You talk about your biological father's passing. You have these half-siblings. He had these kids with someone else. Is she still alive? Is she his ex-wife or is she his widow? Would finding out about you traumatize this woman who is grieving the death of her husband at this moment? If so, you may want to wait till a less sensitive time, or you may want to wait until your biological father's wife has also passed away so that this is less potentially messy. You also want to find out, I think you'd want to find out where you fall 
Are you smack dab in the middle age-wise with your half-siblings? Was this an affair that your biological father had? Was he cheating on his then wife at the moment she was bearing and raising his three children? You, then this information could be very upsetting to the biological half-siblings and to their mother if their mother is still alive. If you're 15 years older and this relationship that your biological father denies having had with your biological mother but you've established it somehow and it's a fact – if it predates him having met or having begun to have children with his widow, well, then it's potentially less upsetting. So I think you need to be sensitive to how the fact of your existence may be received by your biological half-siblings. And the more sensitive you are to their feelings in advance, the likelier you are to get a better reception from them when you do contact them. So if your biological father only recently passed away and he has a widow and she is deep in the mourning process, as they are, hearing from you now may be very upsetting to the entire family and then they won't appreciate you having reached out at this particular moment to let them know that you exist. But if you wait two years or if you wait until after their mother passes away, if she's still alive, to reach out to them and you're able to say that, like I've been thinking about reaching out to you for years. I didn't want to reach out to you right after our father's death. I thought that might be insensitive and upsetting. So I waited. That is a credit to you that you waited. That communicates to them that you are someone they might want to make contact with because you have a high emotional IQ because you were sensitive to their feelings at a time when they were suffering. And discovering your existence at that time may have been a distraction or interfered with their grieving of their father and their ability to care for their mother at that moment. That said, you've gotten a bad reaction from your biological mother. You've gotten an even worse reaction, it seems, from your biological father. That doesn't guarantee a bad reaction from your biological half-siblings. I hope you aren't too invested in having a relationship with these, these, these people. Considering who at least one of their parents was, they may not be kind or healthy in the same way that your biological father, when you finally got in touch with him, wasn't kind or healthy or, or giving or receptive or particularly psyched about your existence. So I want you to brace yourself for the worse that they have no desire to be in contact with you. And then if they do desire to be in contact with you, well, great. Then they've exceeded your expectations rather than crushing your expectations. Hi, Dan. I was wondering, so I'm a big fan of oral, mostly receiving, but I give oral regularly. I do not give oral on first dates, so that's like a big rule of mine. I just think it's a little gross. Like, it seems like a really easy way to contract a disease. But I realized recently, like, I've been receiving a lot of oral on first dates, always saying, oh, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to reciprocate because I don't do that on first dates, but I do reciprocate eventually. And most boys I'm with seem fine with that, end up going down on me. I was wondering, though, if that is a way to contract some sort of STD. Like, can you contract an STD from receiving oral? It seems unlikely. Is it okay that I'm doing this? Is it okay that I'm like, oh, hey, by the way, I do not reciprocate oral on first dates. Like, I'll totally suck your dick if we keep dating, but I'm not going to do it if this is a one-time thing. If you listen to our show a few episodes ago where we had a conversation with Anna Waters from The Atlantic about the sad, tragic comic history of the Nobody uses it dental dam. One of the things we discussed was that oral sex, cunnilingus, is one of the least efficient modes of STI transmission. You are much less likely to get a sexually transmitted infection 
during cunnilingus or oral sex than you are through other forms of penetrative intercourse. That doesn't mean you can't. You can get herpes, you can get HPV, you can get gonorrhea, you can get syphilis, you can get chlamydia. That all of those can be orally transmitted, not as easily transmitted orally as gonorrhea or syphilis or chlamydia are transmitted vaginally during PIV penetration without a barrier, without protection, and with a partner who has a sexually transmitted infection. Sexually transmitted infections don't come into existence through spontaneous generation. It has to be there for you to acquire it. So yeah, you can totally get an STI through oral. As for the morality of this, you don't like to suck dick on the first date, but you will let a guy eat your pussy on the first date. Ugh. You know, it's not totally fairsy squaresy, but you don't like to suck cock on the first date. It would turn you off to give that blowjob on the first date. If he enjoys eating pussy on the first date, well then on that first date, you are both doing the things that turn you on. He is turned on by eating your pussy and that's why he volunteered and signed up to eat your pussy whether or not he got his dick sucked because he enjoys eating pussy and he wants to eat your pussy and you enjoy having your pussy eaten so you're both enjoying yourselves. And that's really the most important thing. We're not keeping a checklist. I suck your dick for five minutes. You eat my pussy for five minutes and everything's reciprocal and egalitarian. It's about what do we both want to do? Where are the areas where we're in overlap and on the same page? Where's our Venn, what does our Venn diagram sexually at this moment look like? Where are the areas of overlap? And if you overlap at you eat my pussy, that's fine. And if he is fine waiting a couple of dates, before he gets his dick sucked, you obtained his informed consent in advance of that unfairsy, unsquaresy oral sex deal. And considering the numbers of men out there who accept blowjobs without eating pussy, I think you can put your, uh, your clit on the scale here. I think you can slap that thumb down on this scale without too much guilt. All right, before we get to your response calls, I'm going to read some of your tweets. Emma McGowan tweets, at Fake Dan Savage, shouted out smoking weed and watching 90 Day Fiancé on this week's Savage Lovecast, and I feel like all of my life choices have been affirmed. Stuart Bishop tweets, just renewed my Savage Lovecast Magnum subscription once again. Love and thanks to Fake Dan Savage for all the years of a gay American helping to clarify the thinking of a straight Brit. At least we have show tunes in common. Thank you, Stuart, for being a Magnum subscriber. Thank you to all of our Magnum subscribers. You guys help keep the show going, as do our micro listeners. Everybody helps keep the show going, but Magnum subscribers have a special place in all of our hearts. And finally, Stella tweets, Listen to E. Jean Carroll's extraordinary interview on the Savage Lovecast episode 670 with my students on Friday. It led to a long discussion about trauma, the different guises of rape, and how we talk about victims and perpetrators. Hey, fake Dan Savage, this high school teacher, thanks you. Hey, Stella, this sex advice podcaster, thanks you in return. Bringing real conversations about sexual trauma, sexual assault to high school students is not only important, it's also sometimes for high school teachers professionally risky. We appreciate the work you're doing and the risks you're taking out there in the trenches. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast and now your response calls. Hi, Dan. This is a response to episode 675, the caller whose boyfriend betrayed her trust. You recommended that she break up. I totally agree with that, but I think your reasoning was flawed. You sort of turned the situation around on her and said that, you know, she was trying to prevent her partner from having friends. It sounded to me more like he was gaslighting her after having 
uh, betrayed her trust. And I don't think that's her fault. In either case, you're right, they should break up, but um, I wish you would have put the blame in the right place. Hi, Dan. Calling about your advice to the caller who was unable to forgive her boyfriend about an emotional affair that he had had. I think your advice was spot on. About a year ago, about a year and a half ago, um, a longtime friend of mine told me that he couldn't talk to me anymore because his girlfriend was threatened by our friendship. He was a close friend for many years. Uh, we hooked up many, many years ago in college, but since then had, you know, just been friends and we like to go hiking and camping. Um, but yeah, for about a year and a half, that's a relationship that I have mourned and I hope he's happy. But if that's the price of admission, he's willing to pay. Great. But I liked your advice to her. So thanks. Hey, Dan, a comment regarding the caller on 675 asking about a thin dom relationship and a man that wanted to remain anonymous and send her money. Potentially, that could be a scam where after sending her a small amount of money, ask for her bank account number or to take out a credit card that he can automatically put cash value into. Then she's given up her bank account or given up a credit card information. It'd be very easy to find somebody's high school or their history information about them who seem like they know her well enough, and it would be very, very easy with the bank account number to clean her out. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Savage Love Live is coming to Toronto and Boston this weekend. There are a handful of tickets available for both of these live shows, but they are going to sell out. If you want to see me in Toronto on Friday or Boston... On Saturday, go to savagelovecast.com slash events and grab those tickets before they're all gone. Oh, and my Dirty Little Porn Film Festival, Hump, will be in Tucson, Arizona this weekend for one night only. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash tour to get tickets. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow L Chase on Twitter at L Chase. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me in the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.